Well, good morning. I, uh, I just came in. I was teaching Discover, and uh, it's always crazy to come in here to, uh, to you guys worshiping. And uh, I just I heard worship was awesome today. Amen? I tell you, you know, I was going through and, and, and talking to all of our, our new, new people that are looking to get involved here at New Life, and one of the things that they love the most is, is the worship here. And uh, it is one of our greatest strengths. So just make sure you thank our, our worship team. Amen? When you see them, do an awesome job. Um, my name is Pastor Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and um, we're starting a new series called One Another. Um, as, I was, as I was planning this week, I was, I was thinking about my past. I was thinking, <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're as old as me or older, then um, you'll, you'll remember this, which I'm 40, in case you didn't realize. Uh, I know I look 20, but I'm 40. Um, you're younger than me, then uh, consider this a history lesson of the late 1900s. Um, 40 years ago, 40 years ago, there were no flat screens, no cell phones, no personal computers, no internet as, as we know it today. Uh, people used to come to your house unexpected. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, they would ring what we call a doorbell. You may have heard those. Um, most of them are disabled, or when they break, we're like, man, who cares anyway, right? Um, yeah, at our, at, at our houses. Um, I remember when I was young, um, the phone would ring. And when I say phone, I mean this box that was screwed to the wall in our kitchen with a 350-foot tangled mess of a cord. Can I get a witness? Anyone remember this? Thank you. I see that hand. Um, and when the phone would ring, my sister and I would race to answer the phone. And sometimes we would tackle each other, pull hair, uh, whatever you needed to do to be able to greet the mystery friend on the other side of the phone. Because if you don't, if you don't realize this, back in the late 1900s, um, we, we didn't know who was calling. I mean, it could have been the President of the United States or your grandma. Like, it could have been one of the two. You didn't really know what it was going to be. Either way, you were just excited that somebody interrupted your game of tiddlywinks, which is what we played in the 1900s. That was a joke. Um, but it was an honor to answer the phone. Uh, we actually had a training that we had to go through as kids. Uh, I had to say, whenever we answered the phone, you'd have to say, well, good afternoon. This is the Sweeney residence. How can I help you? You guys are, you remember, like, I can barely get someone to say hello when I call anymore, right? It just, but they would say, good afternoon, Sweeney residence. How can I help you? Uh, the second thing you had to learn how to do was how to, figure out how to untangle a 350-foot tangled mess of a cord. You guys remember, you'd unhook it and just let it, you just let it, you just let it, and then you'd have to stop or it would keep going, you know what I mean? Okay, that's, that's real. Um, and if you missed a call, then you'd have to star 6-9 them and uh, to be able to get the number. And those of you are like, what is a star 6-9? Yeah, it's, it's the 1900s. Um, and then we got caller ID, and caller ID, all of a sudden we went from a mystery friend to uh, a suspicious caller. We all became police detectives, and like, like tracing a line, you know? Well, oh, just let it ring, just let it ring. Waiting 60 seconds to trace the line, you know? To see who's calling. We don't know who it could be. It could be anyone, right? 
uh, could be a telemarketer, you know, don't, don't answer it. And now today, I have a hard time getting people to answer the phone, right? It's almost like the sentiment is like, well, just, just, just let it ring. I'm not sure what kind of lunatic would be calling me, right? And if it's important, they'll just, they'll text me, right? If it's, if it's really important, then they'll just, then they'll just text me. And so, uh, and so we kind of have this, this weird thing in our, in our life today where you have a whole bunch of friends that you haven't necessarily talked to in ages, but uh, you've texted them and you're on social media with them, you might know what they had for lunch and who they ate with, but you haven't necessarily talked to them in, in, in months. And so we, we publish our highlight reel uh, onto Instagram and, and social media, and yet I talk to people Every, every single week that are lonely and isolated and, uh, and alone. And this should not be. It should not be, especially within the church. And um, so today we're starting a sermon series called One Another. This really comes out of, as a staff, over this summer, we've been reading through the New Testament together. And uh, when you read large portions of Scripture in a short period of time, you start to realize that there are repetitions, things that um, we see over and over and over again. Like, man, Jesus keeps saying this. He said it last chapter, but yet he keeps saying it. And Paul said this to the Ephesians, and he keeps saying it again and, and, and to, the, to the Galatians, and this keeps going over and over again. And one of the things that I noticed in the New Testament is that it is filled with the term one another. And it's, it's used actually about a hundred times in the New Testament. It's found uh, almost in every single letter that is written to the early church. And about 50 of those 100 times, it is, uh, it is given as instructions to uh, early Christ followers. 50 out of those 100 times of one another's, it's given specifically as instructions to, to early followers. And so I spent some time to categorize them and c combine them down. It's certainly not exhaustive, and there's probably some that I'm, that I'm leaving out, but I have a list in your notes. If you take notes, you'll see that. Maybe you're sitting on it today. And um, all, of these different, the, all of these different one another's that we find throughout the New Testament. Let me run down through them. First one, forgive one another, accept one another, honor one another, submit to one another, serve one another, bear with one another, encourage one another, carry one another's burdens, pray for one another, and greet another, one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> you guys are funny. Man, you, you, you second service people, man, you crazy. That was a joke, come on. You guys are like, uh, that's a thing? That's a thing, yeah. Actually, it is a thing. It was written four times. I gave you one of them, Romans 16, 16. Please do not use this as a pickup line, you creeper, okay? <laughs> Just going to say that. No? Hey, uh, so you sit next to somebody in church, you know, the, the Bible says you're supposed to greet me with a holy kiss. <laughs> right? There's nothing holy about your kissing, okay? Just going to say that. But it is in there, so I threw it in there just for, just for kicks. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, the point is that as we read down through all of these one another's is that God is trying to drill into us that we are supposed to one another each other. One of the, one of the main 
uh, activities of the early church that was reminded over and over and over and over and over and over again is that you are supposed to one another each other. And Jesus kind of encapsulates all of these one another's into one word, and that word is love. He says, love one another. That's, that's his one another. He doesn't go into all of these, you know, forgive, accept, honor, submit, serve, bear with, encourage, carry one another's burdens, pray for, not even the holy kiss one. He just says love, love one another. And so my question is like, okay, well, if, you know, why do we have to have all these other one another's? Like, if love is good enough for Jesus, then love is good enough for me. Like, can't we just say love one another and be done with this whole lovey-dovey stuff already? I'm already getting, like, this is weird. Stop talking about loving. And so can't we just say that and be done with it? And I think the reason why we have so many one another's is because the early church, and dare I say our present-day church, are always looking for loopholes when it comes to love. <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, time and time and time again, we're kind of wondering, like, yeah, I mean, I know Jesus said love one another, but, like, what does that actually mean to the lunatic beside me that just showed up at my house? Or, like, what does that actually mean when it comes to hard people that I don't necessarily like? And so Paul and James and John and the authors of the other letters to the early church spend so much time giving explanation to about what it looked like to, to live out that which Jesus simply commanded us to do with love one another. So this is kind of an introductory sermon because I think Jesus sums it up by just saying love one another and then all of these other ways of describing what love looks like really help us and define what it looks like to love one another. So if you turn with me to John chapter 13, this is the scripture that we're going to be in today. John chapter 13, if you'd stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. God's, God has much more to say about this than I do, and uh, I'd love if you'd honor that with me. I want you to understand, if you, as you turn into John chapter 13, um, the, the setting where this particular scripture comes from. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are having what uh, we have come to name the Last Supper, uh, probably the most notable dinner in human history. And so these, these, these guys, these 13 uh, men, are, are gathered around having Passover together. We call it the Last Supper. Judas Iscariot just, just left stage right to betray Jesus. So now we got 12, right? We got the 11 and then Jesus. And it's in this very setting these 12 men sitting at a dinner table, celebrating a Passover, hours before Jesus is going to be betrayed, scourged, put in prison, and killed and crucified, all of those things, he drops this new command on his followers. This is what he says. Let's read with me in John chapter 13, starting in verse 33. He says, My children, uh, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now but you will follow later. Peter asked, well, Lord, why can't we follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. 
Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going, going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you continually remind us what it is that we're supposed to be about in the meantime. In the meantime, in between coming to you and the saving knowledge of you, in between encountering you, Jesus, and you coming back for us or us meeting you in death, what it is that we're supposed to be about in the meantime. Lord, we thank you for this command that you dropped on us. Help us to understand it, to live it, and to not ignore it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Um, I just want to take some time to go down through this portion of Scripture together as a community because I really feel like this is one of the most explicit commands of Jesus and yet the, the least understood or the most ignored. Uh, we kind of just want to gloss over it, and, um, and yet it was so important that hours before Jesus died, he, he chose to, to drop this new command, a brand new command that he had not, never communicated to them before about loving one another. So Jesus is talking to his closest disciples and he's telling them, hey guys, I'm going to be dying soon and I'm going to be leaving and where I'm going you can't come and, but you will soon and all these, all these types of things. And as soon as he tells them this, he leaves these parting words and a brand new command. I want to read it to you again. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if, if you love one another man, I, I would love to be able to like skirt this issue or just be like, maybe he didn't mean it quite the way he did. Can we look that up in the Greek? You know, like, I'm not sure. That seems kind of harsh. I'm not really sure what he's getting at here. He, do, he says love one another. He doesn't say uh, put up with one another. He doesn't say just tolerate one another. He, he doesn't even say, you know, if you just like one another, that'd be good, right? Why? Because loving one another and liking one another are very different things, aren't they? <laughs> if you have kids, you understand this. There are times where you love your children, but you're not liking them right now, right? There are times where you're like, I love you, but I, I, mm, I, I, I love you, I love you, I love you but I don't like you at this moment right now. In many relationships, you get into this, this idea where like, man, my, my love overrides your idiocy, but I don't like you right now. Um, I don't like you, but I choose, I choose to love you. It's very different. Those two things are different. Now, don't get me wrong. It's really good, and it makes life a whole lot sweeter when you like the one you love, right? Makes marriage a whole lot better when you actually like each other, right? I know I love you, but I actually kind of don't mind being around you either, it's really good when, when, when marriages have like and love both together. But either way, it is a command. I want you to see this. I'd love to soften it to you, but Jesus says it in many different ways that you must love one another. And I, I don't know about you, but my initial response to any command is a little bit of, uh, of rebellion. 
You know, kind of like, you don't tell me who to love. You don't tell me, like, oh, okay, you want me just, you, you're just going to command me to love someone? Like, okay, well, if I, if I do it just because you tell me to do it, then I'm really just faking it, right? Is that what you want, Jesus? Oh, is that what you want? You just want me to, like, feign loving other people? And you've been around, you know, oh, hey, their brother, hey, their sister, you know? You look great today. She's an ugly as a mud fence. You know, like, you just, you, you, you've had that before where you've had people kind of say things that feel sort of loving and yet you're like, ah, I don't feel like this is real. Where they're kind of feigning love for you. So what is it that Jesus is saying? Let me simplify this for you. What is Jesus commanding us to do? If you don't write anything else down, if you don't take anything else away, I'd love for you just to, just to wrestle this to the ground today. It's this. Jesus is commanding us to make a decision to seek the good of one another whether or not there is an emotion attached to it. Let me say it again. Jesus is commanding us to seek the good of one another whether or not there is an emotion attached to it. <laughs> and I think that if we can understand this, if we can kind of start to grasp this, then we catch a glimpse of how God loves you. I think if we can understand this, then we can maybe start to understand how Jesus can say things like, love your enemies. Because I don't know about you, but when I read stuff like that, I'm like, what are you talking about? Love my enemies? He doesn't say like your enemies. He says, love your enemies. In other words, make a decision to seek one another's good, whether or not there's an emotion attached to it. It means that, that what they do and how they treat you is not indicative of how you treat them. We treat other people based upon how God treats us, not based upon how others treat us. It's a powerful, powerful, powerful understanding. Jesus says, love your enemies. I want to read it to you in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good, do good to those who hate you. <laughs> Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, what? Turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. I mean, he just keeps going. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, whose credit is that to you? What credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Expecting to be repaid in full. Man, like, like Jesus means this. Like, he, he kind of hits it from a whole lot of different angles and uh, slaps us across the face in a few different ways. What if, what if God puts hard-to-love people in our path because he wants us to understand and to teach us how he loves hard-to-love people like you and like me? When we choose to walk away and we choose to not, not, not walk and not honor him, what, what? 
maybe he's trying to teach us something. And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus not only commands it, he actually says it, that it is a symptom of whether or not you're following him. It's a symptom of whether or not you're following him. He says it in verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And if I'm honest, as I look at our American Christian culture today, um, there's this sense that it is all about me and Jesus. Like me and Jesus. We see it in our worship. We see it in, in kind of our, our attitudes of, uh, you know, I, I'm coming to church and I'm worshiping you, but let's be, it's really about, it's really about me. I don't really know what all these other people are doing around here, ruining it for me, you know, because it's really just, just about me. I don't know why this lady has a sing-off key next to me because she's kind of ruining the me and Jesus time, right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about because it's all about my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and is that true? Absolutely. But here's, here's where this, this starts to subtly creep in. We start to almost think that we're an only child. <laughs> that we're like, we're the only child of the king. And it's just about me and Jesus, and man, a bunch of these lunatics around me, man, if they church would be awesome if they just leave, right? But like, it's just really about me and Jesus, and that's what it really, so I, I have my church on the beach by myself, and I, I do, the, it all comes out of this kind of idea that it's really just about me being an only child of God. Because if, if I think that I'm an only child, then I don't need you. In fact, I don't, I don't need the person sitting next to me. In fact, if if, if I'm an only child, then really all I need to have church is some headphones and a good, like, Stephen Furtick and, 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 and Hillsong United going on. And that's church, and it was awesome, and thank Jesus. Like, that's, that's what he, but Jesus continually reminds us, and we're continually reminded over and over and over again in the early church that you are not an only child. You're not. As you look to your left and you look to your right and you look across the globe, the reality is, is that there's a whole lot of other siblings <laughs> that we got to figure out how to do this thing, family thing with. And Jesus reminds us, you're not an only child. And when you think that you are an only child, you get pretty self-centered. Like it's, like it's all about, like it's all about me. And, and I've been wondering, like, what if the reason that God places us in a local church family is so that we can learn how to give and receive and to practice loving one another? What does that look like? See, because the church that, I, that Jesus saw was a church that functioned like a family. Jesus saw a church that functioned like a family. And for some of you, you know, you, you hear this, you read about how Jesus dropped that new command and all that kind of stuff. And I say like church like family and you're like, man, I don't want, I, I don't want a church that looks like my family. Okay. <laughs> like you don't understand what I came out of. Like I don't want to go anywhere near what my family looks like. That, that's real good. I, I, but maybe your family's better. So when you say church like family, but that scares that scares me. I don't want to come anywhere near that. And I understand that some of us come from dysfunctional families. Maybe some of us are in dysfunction right now. 
But I believe that that is why all the other one another's are in the Bible. It's why. To explain what a family is supposed to look like. Jesus says, love one another. And then, and then Paul and James and, and, and John and these other authors spend so much time trying to give explanation to what love looks like, to what a family should look like. And so as we embark on this journey together called One Another's, I just believe that, that it's going to begin to put words and to put action and to put understanding to what church-like family looks like when we walk down through each one of these, no matter what type of family you grew up in, whatever your definition is, we're about to define what a church-like family looks like. And I wonder today, is that what we're focused on? Because as I look at the New Testament early church, their primary activity was two things, tell your story and be a family. Tell... When God, when you encounter God and he changes your life, let other people know about it. Tell people your story of what it is that God has done, how he's healed you, how he's freed you, all that. But not only that, be a family. Why? Because it is a testimony to an unbelieving world that you truly are followers of me. That's, that's what the primary function of the early church. And are we still focused on that? Because I think we can get kind of confused thinking uh, especially in our day, that church is a place that you attend. But Jesus saw the church as, as a people. Because if, if, if church is a place, you come and you do your thing, then, then, then the primary activity of, of a place is to come and attend it. Do your thing, check in, worship, talk, you know, get your time slot in, all those types of things. But if church is a people, then our primary activity is one anothering each other. This is what Jesus is lining out for us today, is to one another each other. First John chapter 4, verse 19 says, I mean, I'm just going to keep hitting you with these. He says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Man, I mean, yet another love one another scripture. If, if I'm going to be honest, I, I see the next great move of God being sustained by a church that functions like a family. What I, say, what I mean by that is I believe that the next great move of God is not going to be an event or a revival or a program or a conference or uh, certainly not a country club. It's not a move that began in the spirit and then ended in the flesh. I believe the next great move of God is going to be birthed by a group of people who love people more than signs and wonders. He says that signs and wonders will follow those. I believe that the next great move of God is going to be birthed by a group of people who hate the devil and what he is doing to humanity. I believe that the next great move of God is going to be a group of people who are unwilling to separate loving God and loving people. 
And when we get those two things in focus, the way I think that Jesus clearly lays out for us, I believe that we will see a move like we have never seen before. I believe when we start to see the gifts of the Holy Spirit being driven and covered by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we will see a move of the Holy Spirit like we've never seen, and it will be sustainable. It won't be like, oh, wow, wasn't that great? Yeah, we went to a revival last week, and wasn't that great? Where is it now? It's not there anymore. Oh, wow, did you see that? God, that was a really great service this week. I believe that a sustainable work, work of the Holy Spirit will be driven by the, by the, not just by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let's continue. So Jesus downloads this, this new command and he drops the mic, you know, he just says, you know, love one another and all that. And I love Peter because he just speaks up like, <laughs> he says what we're all thinking, but he just bleh, says it out loud. Jesus just literally drops a brand new command that you'd think they'd all want to talk about and man, like, can you give, bring some explanation to this? And this is the very next verse, verse 36. Simon Peter asks him, Lord, where are you going? Simon Peter replied, or Jesus replied, uh, where, where I'm going, you, you cannot follow now. I just said that, Peter, you know, but you will follow later. And Peter's like, well, why can't I follow you now? I love Peter because he just kind of says out loud. In other words, he's like, I heard what you just said about the whole lovey-dovey stuff and like love one anothering. I don't know. You were droning on, honestly. It was kind of boring. But you, right before that, you had said something about you going someplace and I want to go too. Can we, can we, can I go? Uh, no, Peter, I actually said you can't go. Remember that? Yeah, but can I still go? I'll lay down my life for you. Yeah, Peter, you know, I kind of, I already said that, but you know, I did just drop a brand new command on you. Yeah, but I was just wondering, can we, are we going someplace? No, Peter, shut up. <laughs> because oftentimes we can worry about where we are going and God is more concerned about who we're becoming. We see this in Peter, man. He's just like, well, we're, there's going to be a party. We're going someplace. You're not leaving me because I'm going with you. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to do this thing. And he's like, Peter, did you just hear what I told you? I said a new command that I give you. And you just glossed right over it like it didn't even exist. You know, oftentimes we just, we want to know where God's going, but we're not that concerned about who we're becoming. And I find that when we neglect the commands of God in order to chase after the move of God, we can miss the point. Let me say that again so you get fully, fully offended. When, when we neglect the commands of God in order to chase after the moves of God, we miss the point. See, God is more, usually more, concerned with who we're becoming than we are. And so I would say to you, if you want to walk in a greater anointing, let him change your heart. Don't chase after the move. Allow him to change your heart. If you want to walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you want to walk in a greater anointing, start one anothering each other. And you'll find that you're walking in a greater anointing. Start to walk in, the, in the, not just the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe that there is a day of sustained revival where the gifts of the Holy Spirit will be driven by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
And, and, and that's, that's, I think, what the world will stand up and take notice of. Like, what if we were known? <laughs> what, if, what if somebody was like, man, I, I used to think that Christians were just a bunch of weirdos, but have you actually met, met one? Man, that love, I haven't been able to shake it all week long. Like, I mean, I, I don't know about this whole Christian thing and what they believe, and all, but have you actually met a Christian? My goodness. I mean, it just, that love just pierced me, and I, ca- I, can't, I can't get away from it. I can't forget it. What they say, I mean, I'm telling you, what if we were known by that? What if we were known by that? So Peter, he's all worried about where Jesus is going, and can he go to, and I know you said I can't, but I really want to, and I want you to see how Jesus comforts Peter, and he comforts his disciples. In, in John 14, verse 1, he says this, guys, 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 don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? All of a sudden, like, I don't know if you find this odd or weird, like, all of a sudden Jesus is like, comforting his disciples by talking about, hey, I'm going to prepare rooms and there's lots of rooms for you and all these things. And it's interesting to me that Jesus brings comfort to his followers by telling them, you are not home, but you will be soon. And I wonder if maybe I can speak that over us prophetically, that maybe you're in a place right now, maybe you walked in here today, or you've been coming every single week, and you're like, man, I just don't understand why this, my life is, it feels like the wheels are coming off, nothing's happening the way that it should be. I lost my job, my marriage is on the rocks, my my kids aren't doing what I thought that they should be doing. This Christian life does not seem to be measuring up to, to what I think or my expectations are, and I'm really kind of confused about what's going on here. And I wonder if Jesus' comforting words are, that's because you're not home, but you will be soon. This world is not your home. You're like an alien or a foreigner in it is how, how the gospel is described. So, so when things aren't going your way and they, they, it just seems like this thing's out of joint, it's because you are not home, but you will be soon. And for those of us who are trying to find purpose and fulfillment and meaning and, and situations and people, I just want to remind you, you're not home. But you will be soon. And it seems like God is always saying that to us, isn't he? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know about you, but so many times in my walk with God, it's like he says go, and then he fails to define the destination well. Have you, ever, have you ever been like that before? And I don't like to move unless I know where I'm going, right? Like, he's like, well, just go. I'm like, where are we going? We're just going. Are we go- I'll, I'll let you know when we get there. Are you, are you kidding me? No, no. Think about it with Abraham, right? Abraham, Genesis 12, 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Where are we going? Just go. What do you mean? I, take everything that you have and start moving go. Where are we going? I'll let you know. Uh, I'm not comfortable with that, right? We, we, we wander waiting for the Lord to show us our destination. So many, we, we feel that. We feel that on the inside of us. Maybe even if you're not a Christian here today, there's this thing that's out of joint in you. Like, I just don't feel like I'm home. There's something wrong. Like, there's something that just is not fitting the way that it should. 
And Jesus is like, you're, you're not home. That's why. Your home is heaven. You're a sojourner walking through this earth. The reason why things aren't necessarily always measuring up and bad things are happening good, to good people and all these, it's because you're not home. We think about Moses and the Israelites, right? I mean, these guys are walking. He's like, go, go to the promised land. 40 years later, they're like, what was the deal? Everyone's dead. Are you kidding me right now? Like, are we there yet? I was thinking it was going to be like a week, a month tops. And you're like, just keep going. Just keep going. Where are we going? The promised land. When are we going to get there? I'll let you know. What? Or maybe you feel like this with, with God right now, where you're just like, God, you told me to go. You told me to, 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 to launch out, go back to school, take this job, marry this person, go. What, what's the plan? Just go. Just start walking. And so many times I feel like our wandering keeps us wondering where our home is. I think God continually, it's almost like we're set up to ask that question, isn't it? In life, where's my home? I don't feel like I fit in here. I don't feel like I belong here. Like I, I, I want to, to make this, you know, I, I feel like these, this is my group of people, but I just don't, it just doesn't seem to work. I think our wandering keeps us wondering where our home is so Jesus can keep reminding us where our home is. C.S. Lewis wrote this. You may have heard of him. He wrote a few good things. He said, um, there have been times when I think that we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. It's this idea that in all of our wandering and all of our waiting and all of our wanting, does it really just come from this, this sense of like, man, I just want heaven. I want, I know there's more and it's out of my grasp and I know I'm not home, and, but I will be there, but I'm not. And so I try to satiate that with more. If I could just have more money or a new car, if I could just have this friendship or this relationship, if I could just amass and amount things around me, then I will feel like I have arrived. And Jesus says, and we all know it to be true, you're not home, but you will be soon. You're not home, but you will be soon. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says this. Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Hmm. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. You're not home, but you will be soon. And in the meantime, tell your story and be a family. Love one another. It is by this that they will know that you are my followers. If I could have the um, communion team start passing out the elements for communion today as I'm talking, um, I'd appreciate it. <clears throat> Jesus continues in John chapter 14. I'll leave you with this, uh, this idea. He says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. 
I want you to notice, I don't know if you've ever read the Bible and think like, man, why is Jesus so complicated? Why couldn't he just say it like normal? Like, he, but he goes into like these weird ways of saying things. And I was noticing this strange way of his speaking. He says, I'll, I'll come back and take you to be with me and also be where I am. It's this whole idea that there's like, the, like this, this idea that, he, that God wants you to be with him and also where he is at the same time. And I was realizing this, that the Father's home and the Father's heart are the same thing. The Father's home, being in the Father's home and being in the Father's heart are, are the same thing. And I was, uh, the Lord brought me to the, the story of the prodigal son. If you've, if you've ever read the story of the prodigal son, it's about this, uh, this father and he's got two sons. The youngest one is like, hey, dad, um, I want to go do my thing and I want to be me and I want all my money that's coming to me in my inheritance. I want it now so that I can go spend it and do what I want. And the father says, okay, here you go. And he gives him, he gives him his, his inheritance. The younger son goes off and he spends it on wild living and women. And he's just, he has a blast and a party and there's all kinds of people all around helping him spend it. He finally comes to the place where everything's gone. He has no more money and the friends have dried up and he finds himself literally just in a pig pen, eating slop, hanging out. And he realizes, what in the world am I doing with my life? Like, I gotta, I gotta go back to my dad's house. Like, there's nothing like being a son in your father's home when your father is God. And he just decides, I'm gonna start going back. And Luke chapter 15, verse 19, I want you to catch this and I want you to see the father's heart. He says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his, his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they begin to celebrate. And I want you to think about this as I was, I was like, Lord, why do, why, do you, why do you keep bringing this, this whole story up? And this was the question. When was the boy home? Was it when he walked in through the doors into the, the threshold of, of his childhood home? No. It was when he was embraced in his father's arms. That's when he was home. Why? Because the Father's home, heaven, and the Father's heart now are the same thing. They're the same thing. So we don't have to sit around waiting for the sweet by and by when we're going to see the pearly gates and they're going to open up and we're going to be able to go in when we die. We can live in the Father's heart today, today, today. So I want you to know, maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you're walking in here and you're like, man, I just don't even know why I'm in church today. I want you to know God is, is so passionate about wanting each and every single one of us to come home. And for you, you know how God knows when you're home? Is when he sees you turn towards him and just take a step towards him. And as soon as he sees that on the horizon, just like this father starts running starts running and he chases you down 
and he seeks you out, and he relentlessly paces waiting for you to turn, to start walking towards him. Why? So that he can embrace you. Because that's his heart. That's his heart. He wants each and every single one of us to, to begin walking towards him so that he can embrace us. For maybe for some of you, if you're taking communion today, maybe this is the first time you've taken it in a while, I want to encourage you, maybe this is your homecoming. Maybe this is your time where you're like, God, if this is really true, if this, if this love is real, if I can really have a relationship with the creator of the universe, then I want that. So I choose to start walking towards you today, and I guarantee you, as you make your steps towards the Lord, he runs after you. He picks you up and kisses you, puts a ring on your finger and a robe around you. He, he puts sandals on your feet, and none of this you deserve. Isn't that weird? I mean, what did this guy do? He just decided, well, the life I'm in right now sucks, so I should probably turn around and walk towards God. That was his only decision. And as he starts to walk towards God, God overtakes him. And I want you to know that he is just waiting, 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 waiting for you to turn so that he can just run after you. So maybe today, as you, as you take communion today, this is the time where you just say, you know what? I'm taking a step towards you, God. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know where this ends. I don't know where this goes. But I want this adventure. Whatever that looks like. And for some of you that maybe you've been in God for a long time, you're like in the Father's heart, you're in the Father's home, and and you're in church, and this is, this is who you are and what you're about, I would say this to you as a word of warning. Don't be like the older brother in the story. Who's kind of sitting around thinking, really? This guy kind of smells like pig slop. You think you deserve coming in here? Coming back here? Because it's this... It's this, this realization, I don't deserve to be here. It's only because of a father that chooses to love me in spite of me. Who chooses to love me even when I don't deserve it. Who chooses to make a decision for my good even when there's no emotion involved or attached to it. He loves me. So don't be like the older brother. Jesus calls each and every single one of us as children of God to one another, one another. I'm going to leave you with this scripture as we, as we take communion together. He says, Romans 12, 2 says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention to God. You'll be chained from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. What if, as these 12 disciples, 11 disciples, are sitting around the Passover and Jesus is showing them what represents his body and his blood and they receive communion together, 
just as he was telling and dropping this whole love one another thing, what if he was communicating to them, guys, you're not an only child, and as you receive communion together, you're receiving it as a community of your common union with each other. And, and not just about you and your personal relationship with Jesus. Could we lead our culture in forgiving one another? Shouldn't we be known for serving one another? Could it be that we, that, that we can show as a testimony that we're following God by honoring one another and, and strengthening one, one another and being devoted to one another in a culture of believers? Could we show what it looks like to be devoted to one another in good times and bad and praying for one another? So as we take this together, why don't you stand with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. The same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this, the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. As we close out, as we close out today, Lord, as we sing in worship today, for maybe for some of you today, this would be the very first time that you come to, to say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm making a step towards you today. I don't know what this looks like, but I hear this word go, and I'm responding to it. If you have any prayer need in any area of your life, I don't want you to leave this place unchanged without the opportunity to be ministered to. So as we worship today, as we lift his name up above ours, I just want to encourage you, if you want to come down to the front on these two sides as we worship, we'd love to we have some prayer team that will come alongside and pray God into your situation, but don't allow, don't, don't leave this place without the opportunity to be prayed for. Lord God, I pray that you would call each and every single person to yourself. Lord, as we lift your name up in this place, as a community of fellow believers, as we choose to prefer one another above ourselves, as we choose to love one another, let it be a testimony to the world around us that we are followers of you, Jesus. We make a decision today for each other's good, even when there's not an emotion attached to it. Jesus, teach us what it looks like to love one another. Teach us what this looks like in practice. We lift your name up. We lift your name up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord Jesus, may we, may we remember that we are not an only child. Lord, that you have called us and equipped us to love one another just as you have loved us. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your commandment that seems hard, and yet you equip us to do it. I think many times we overthink it, we, we overtry, we, we think that it's overcomplicated. But, Lord, I pray that we would just ask the question, how can I help? Lord, I thank you that you've placed the lonely in families. God, that we have a family, that you've, 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 you've birthed a church that functions like a family. May we continue to walk in the fruit of the Spirit to see you move 
like you've never moved before. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.